You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. The JSC has closed its doors for another day, so as it's a Thursday, it's the five o'clock shadow double-headed dream team edition with David Shapiro from Sassman Securities and Viv Govender from Rand Swiss. And Viv, I don't think it's unfair to say you've made it apparent that you have a sort of mini obsession with artificial intelligence. And here we go. Even (laughs) even though you sent me, I'm just going to have a quick look at this thing that you sent me the other day. I'm trying to find it. So please bear with me. But you did send me something that was slightly circumspect when it comes to artificial intelligence. He said, next year, you will not be able to trust anything online. Maybe we'll come to that later on. But in the meanwhile, NVIDIA results, they were really impressive, weren't they, Viv? Uh, yes, they were uh, double-digit gains. Uh, you know, improving their forecasts for uh, you know uh, revenue, etc. Uh, to the, the analysts, for instance, were expecting uh, current quarters sales to be about twelve point six because that's sixteen billion. So, uh, the market was expecting eleven point two this quarter, and they gave them thirteen point five. Uh, and there's a great little report from Global Sachs that came out, and they were saying that by twenty twenty five. Uh, we're expecting $160 billion of investment going into AI, right? That's not very long. That's next year. We've got like maybe five, six months left, and five months left in this year. Yeah. We have next year and the year after that. So the, in the year of 2025, there'll be $160 billion in that year alone. Now, if you look at uh, what these guys are actually spending their money on, yes, they are buying these researchers, they're paying money for that and so on. But the hardware, the capital expenditure in this thing is pretty much all AI, all the chips from NVIDIA. Uh, so if you look at NVIDIA talking about like, the 16 billion or whatever per quarter, you multiply that by, say, four, you're getting like 50 billion. But they're saying there's 160 billion of investment going in just in 2025. And a whole chunk of that's going to go straight to NVIDIA. So I do think it's... Uh, it, the, the, and right now, I've seen guys talk about the fact that they can't get a hold of NVIDIA chips. Everywhere in the world, people are getting crazy about it. I mean, even places you don't even think about. Like, I mean, I just look at I did a report this week on uh, like the, the UAE. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, yeah, they have, we are they paying a billion for Mbappe or like half a billion for Ronaldo and whatever for Messi <laughs> and so on to come across. You, you think they don't have that kind of money to also spend to try and kickstart an AI uh, thing in uh, you know the Saudis? They're doing something called Falcons AI at the moment. Uh, they have the money; they can buy the material. Uh, they have the you know political control to like take away some of the the, the garbage, which is open AI is dealing with from the FTC. And they have the ability to also basically attract people from places in the world that are got the brain power but don't have the uh, you know infrastructure. You look at open AI. You look at you know deep mind. Look at the people there. They're either Russian, Chinese, Indian. Okay, hmm. you don't even those guys don't like to go to Dubai as well. You know, especially when you think about the fact that HB1 visas are so difficult to get to the US right now, and all kind of troubles, you know, that people have immigrating to, to, to the part of the world they would normally go to. I think there's opportunities elsewhere. And like I said, uh, we're talking about lots of money, and a lot of that money is going to be splashing on NVIDIA. Okay, David, we'll come to you on this one, because one of the things that you like about a company based in the Netherlands called ASML is that the, the barriers to entry are quite high. Are the barriers to entry to NVIDIA's business? also quite high because the amount of money that they charge for one of these AI chips mm. is absolutely enormous. Um, it is because they're ahead, like ASML, they're ahead in the technology and therefore other chip manufacturers, and I'm sure they're spending a huge amount of money and time trying to play catch-up. But, but you haven't got time for catch-up. 
you haven't got time to say, okay, AMD, we'll wait till next year for you to deliver the chip because your competition is running away from you. So I think that's what's given them the lead in uh, for the moment. Down the line, yes, competition will come. And uh, as we've seen with uh, all in, uh, in technology, eventually you do get competition. So I think that it has given them a head start. What I found fascinating is that no one's believed the numbers. You know, no one has uh, uh, – It's they've been too big for people to digest. And as a result of that, uh, when the share price has been going up and up, everyone says, this is too much, you know, this is too high, yeah. I've got to downgrade, I've got to sell, I've got to diversify. And, and uh, the silliest thing is people have been getting out, you know, and, and for, the, for what they 500 at the moment, I don't know where the share's trading. But this has been going on for a long time. And I'm saying, if the winner is still there, just stay with it. You know, just you don't have to if, – if, if you have such a large margin of profit, why do you have to uh, get out, you know? And, and you'll hear, oh, no one's ever lost money taking a profit. You know, all those old um, <laughs> sage – you know, everyone gives you um, those kind of um, help and um, what else do you call it, advice – but I'm saying just just stay. This is a winning company. Stay with it. And um, I, I think it's going to take time. There will be competition. But I still think that the U.S. remains ahead of everyone for the meantime. Um, so I, I'm thrilled about what we're seeing. And, and Viv mentioned, you know, the amount of money being spent, you heard NVIDIA's results. You've got to translate that into other companies because the software companies have to spend, the cloud companies have to spend. So you've got to watch them for similar kind of gains and traffic uh, down the line. I don't think we've, I don't think we've transposed that or what's the word, um, built that in. So I think, look, play this theme. You know, just, just. Don't, don't be scared to, uh, to invest or to take us further. Viv and David, I'll throw this open to both of you, and you've probably both got different mm. opinions on this, but is a company like NVIDIA in bubble territory? That's the first observation that people say to me, oh, well, it's, it's too high. But can you value this company on traditional lines? I, I know, David, you don't like PE ratios Please, no. particularly. No. <laughs> but Viv, I'll start with you. Can this be valued in the traditional sense, when you first started to ply your trade in the financial services industry, people said, well, if a company's got this price earnings ratio and this uh, cash to book and all that sort of thing, which I don't understand, but you do, can you value NVIDIA on along those lines? Yeah, look, I mean, when you talk about a binary entry, what they're doing here, and you can understand, there's a thing called the Grace Hopper architecture. Okay, Hello. it's a grasshopper chip. Okay, <laughs> it's, it's it's a it's a computer chip that that it's it's it, put it this way. Like you know how you can't run a Windows program on an Apple uh, machine. Yes, and vice versa, right? Uh, but all these kind of computers seem to run the same machine. That's because they all use the same kind of architecture. Uh, all these Windows computers use the same architecture. Apple uses a different architecture, right? What Nvidia is trying to do is it's trying to make its Apple inverted commas kind of architecture, the kind of like computer architecture, the default architecture of the of the of of AI because that's the architecture everyone's going to train on. That's the architecture everyone's going to be using to like you know develop their models, and because they have a lead, and because they're not going to be like IBM who goes up and just basically gives out their uh, you know their their IP for free to like let everyone else go out and like make their own like you know uh, 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 chips here. It's possible that 
these guys develop almost a monopoly on AI chips. Yes. You know, uh, and because they have the first guys in, in, in uh, you know, with stuff out there, everyone's going to be using it. And when they come up with a new thing, are you going to go and keep on using the thing that you're using or are you going to change everything to go and use somebody else's architecture? You see? Uh, and I think that is the, that is one of the things that, and if that is the case, then they are extremely undervalued. If I have an AMD and Intel come out of some stuff that's competitive, you know, then, you know, they don't keep this kind of like lead. But I think they, they are making a play. Uh, you know, uh, I listened to some guy talk about the fact that, you know, one of the big dangers NVIDIA actually has is that if they actually get their play right uh, and they become the default thing, they'll be nationalized or effectively nationalized because they'll have a monopoly and an incredibly powerful, you know, technology. Uh, no government let that any company have that kind of you know superpower, so uh, <laughs> that's actually a danger if they get this right. But yeah, that is what they're playing for. That is why you know uh, yes, you can to a certain extent uh, say that they have this barrier to entry. You can say that the valuations could be as good as this because of the fact that if they get this right, they will effectively be the backbone of AI. So two years ago, you wouldn't have heard of NVIDIA, Viv. I'll stay with you on this one before going to David. No one knew what yeah, NVIDIA was. Yeah. But what you're saying is, it's, it's almost as though you're implying that this is, for example, the modern-day Microsoft. Uh, no, it's bigger than the modern-day Microsoft. This is the modern-day standard oil, if they get this right. If they get this right, they are the modern-day standard oil. Except instead of basically going out and, and, and getting oil from anywhere else in the world, they are producing it in their little you know, chip uh, uh, design uh, firms here, hmm. uh, just chip design labs. If they get this right, they will be the foundation. They will be like oil, right, for, uh, for the future. They will have a monopoly on making the internal combustion engine, that kind of stuff. Uh, Microsoft would be nothing, uh, no, not even close to this. Uh, and that's why I say there's a, there's a serious chance. And I'm not even like, you know, I'm only semi joking when I say this. But if they get this right in like three or four years' time, it, it would make no sense for the government not to think of having, you know, serious control of the company because uh, you would have one company in probably the most important technology. You look at what Goldman Sachs is saying in terms of the amount of money going into this by 2030 or something. We're talking about 1.5 trillion uh, in the US alone. Uh, in investments, that's with a T. Uh, so we'd be talking about a company getting a huge chunk of that because they are the the hardware manufacturers. So yeah, uh, they are making a play to be the the underlying you know monopoly architecture almost of AI. Goodness me, David, do you own it? Yeah, I want to, I just no, just before you, you yeah, before you make, okay. do you own Nvidia or is it too high? Yes. And if you don't own it, no. would you be no. buying it now? Yes. Um, <laughs> Me, I, I do own NVIDIA because, I, like I said, I've, I launched an AI fund a few months ago. Yeah. And the fund is betting on the idea that AI is real and there's something's going to come out of it. You know what I mean? Uh, real in the fact that it's going to be a, a dominant technology for the next decade or two. Okay. And if that is the case, I mean, you have to own NVIDIA. There's no choice. And David, do you own, own NVIDIA? That was my oh, original yeah. question. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, I, I, wanna, I just want to tell you something as well. Please. I owned NVIDIA in 2021. Well done. Okay? I know. Now, in 2021, towards the end of 2021, the share price was called at 327. It peaked, and at that stage, it was the it was the power behind uh, Bitcoin um, and all, all the sorry, um, you know, behind that kind of architecture. And it came crashing down with the fall in Bitcoin. And not only that, there was an excess of chips. Uh, there were all kinds of issues around gaming and so on. But they stuck to their guns and they started to develop this chip against better judgment of the market. 
So to give you an idea, and that's why you said, is it in bubble territory? So hold on. I wish you could draw this in your mind. The shares were at the end of 2021, uh, 327, call it. They fell to... October or down, you know, within a year to 112. Okay. Okay. So lost 60% of their value. Yeah. Yeah, More than that. Mm. Much more. Yeah. Down to 112. And it's from that level in October 22 that they now at the 480, 479. I don't know where they're trading now, 500 level. So when you draw a line through uh, the last couple of years, 19, 20, 21, this is not bubble territory. Hmm. You know what I mean? It's not. It's bubbles over the last year, but no one has brought up that it has fallen, uh, you know, by two-thirds or by, uh, yeah, as you say, well over half. So um, credit to them for sticking to their guns and uh, doing exactly, um, you know, what sticking to the technology, developing the technology and putting them ahead of everybody else. But it's, yeah, it's it's, it's it's a forty-five degree chart mm. over the last five. This is not a uh, this is not what do you call it? This is not straight up. This is not perpendicular. Okay, well that's, a, that's an interesting point that you make actually because I don't think people realise that. Okay, of course this has sort of fueled some sort of interest again in the Nasdaq because ARM, the Cambridge-based chip maker, semiconductor yeah. maker, is going to list on the Nasdaq in September probably and raised 10 billion. It's not like the you know late 1990s when there was the dot com thing and it's it's not like other little Nasdaq phases that we've had. This is something completely different and hopefully it sparks a lot of other companies and a lot lots of sort of ancillary companies that need to feed off the Nvidia boom and the AI boom and there'll be a, a whole new wave of listings and nice Silicon Valley companies. I hope so yeah. because it gives everyone a little bit more choice. If you haven't got any into Nvidia, maybe go for the next one, Viv. Don't you think there's a whole I don't know lots of tentacles coming out of AI? Oh, yeah, look, but like I said, uh, what Nvidia is playing at right now, if you look at the underlying thing, is that they're they are trying to be the dominant thing. It's not going to be like, oh, this Android and whatnot. It's like if Apple made a phone and then uh, everybody got into Apple and then suddenly somebody a couple of years later comes out of this Android phone. You know, at that point in time, no one's going to shift across because they're all, you know, tied to that ecosystem, not ecosystem, but they're tied to that idea, especially as developers. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that is that is the, the kind of thing here. Uh, but there will be tons of money coming in. I mean, uh, we already saw this year alone, Microsoft, Google, uh, Facebook, a lot of guys benefiting from the AI, you know, hype that's out there. Yes. The only question arises is, is, is it real or not? And I mean, uh, we're going to be getting Gemini from Google uh, slash Alphabet in a few months' time. Uh, that's going to be at least double, maybe even larger, the size of uh, GPT-4. GPT-5, by the way, is only going to come out next year at the earliest, maybe even later than next year. Um, because the last time they basically d- trained in 2021, September, at least in early 2023. Uh, now they're starting to train now. And so if you do the same timeline, that's 2026 when they release. But I think it might be a bit sooner than that because, you know, of the push in terms of demand, et cetera. But yeah, I do think that we are seeing uh, a lot of that kind of stuff happening. And to give you an idea, like with GPT-4, which is the premier, you know, uh, large language model at the moment, uh, if, if it was trained today and we did nothing, changed nothing except for the software, it will be more powerful. Or did nothing except change the hardware, it will be more powerful. Or did nothing except change the amount of money we put into it, it will be more powerful. But both software, hardware, and money have all gone up exponentially in that period of time. 
So don't be surprised when the stuff that comes up in the next year or so looks incredibly different, incredibly more powerful than what we saw or what we see currently. It's hard to keep up, actually, but it's easy. Lindsay, you forget that NVIDIA tried to buy ARM. Did they? they yeah. And, and uh, they, they were stopped by the competition commissions or the various competition boards uh, because of uh, the power of ARM. I don't, NVIDIA or any of the design companies cannot exist without ARM. Yes. They don't make anything. They just design or approve designs. I think NVIDIA doesn't make anything. I think it no. uh, relies on uh, TSM or some other foundry. Um, so they, you know, they, they, they design the chip. ARM approves it or looks at it and tests it. And uh, someone else manufactures it. I think TSM. And uh, they, they then sell it. And uh, sorry, you need those. You also need ASML to, uh, uh, to assist TSM. Mm-hmm. in actually producing those chips. So there is a very strong relationship between all these businesses. Okay. And ARM, I think we misunderstand it. We, you know, we, we haven't done enough uh, on it, but it's a fascinating company in Cambridge. Yeah. So, Weren't uh, you reading Cambridge a book about it, David? Didn't you read yeah, a book? And you stopped because it was too bo- not too boring. I won't say boring, no. but a little bit ponderous, well, a little bit too detailed. Well, yeah, it gets too detailed. Viv would love it. Uh, <laughs> he, he has a mind that can absorb it. very presumptuous of you to say that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 no, no, of the three of us, Viv is the scholar. Yeah, he's the. Well, he's, I mean, yeah. he'd understand it. You know, he's got that uh, scientific brain. You know, mm-hmm. I. Halfway through these kind of definitions and everything, I start looking at the screen to see what time the football's starting, you know, that kind of thing. So. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. Anyway, um, let, let, let's come back down to earth if we can, gentlemen, right. because from one ARM to another ARM, ARM, that's uh, on the JC Securities Exchange, African Rainbow Minerals, came out with a trading statement today. I don't think it need detain us because it was pretty pedestrian. Momentum Metropolitan. David, I'm going to stay with you on the JSC. This is not yeah. a company that you, obviously you look at it, but it was well received by market participants. Share price up around about five percent. Is this mm. something that you look at? But it's, it's very much a South African company, isn't it? We're serving different stratas of South African society. Mm-hmm. What I picked up, the most important part that I picked up, was that they mentioned that they're experiencing, the, you know, uh, sorry, the lapse experience is deteriorating. In other words. What happens is uh, people are lapsing their um, their, their, their products, yeah. you know, their insurance policies. And Metropolitan mainly does – I don't know if it does life. It mainly does funeral policies and that. So what it does do is it exposes how difficult things are for people. They had you – know, you, know, you know what happens, Lindsay? When you have these trading updates, everybody fudges their numbers. You know, oh, this is our – these are headlines, but these are not our normalized headlines. You know, these are normalized if this didn't happen. So you never really get to the bottom of what's happened. And I think the market responded to the normalized hips, not the actual hips, which were pretty pedestrian. So I think, you know, accounting has become an absolute fraud and just, uh, <laughs> you can decide whatever numbers we want, we're going to get there somehow. But I mean, it is a, it's, 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 uh, I always look for, you know, mentioning what lies ahead, and, I, and I'm a bit concerned about this. They had a much better 
they had a much better uh, life experience and improved uh, mortality. I think a lot of people were dying in COVID time. You know, they haven't got that anymore. But just watch for whether people lapse policies. I think that's quite important. Yeah, it's a grudge mm. purchase, isn't it? Of course. Yeah. David, I'll stay with you because Viv is on a different planet when it comes to his AI fund, <laughs> which we'll talk about later, Viv. I want to give it a punt because it sounds exciting. David, South 32, their results came out down yep. 5%. Terrible. You're not a resources investor, but you can't have noticed, nah. helped but notice yeah. that these things were really bad, these numbers, yeah. that is. Yeah. It's, it's a, we've seen it right across the board. You know, with uh, African rainbow minerals as well, um, things were down there. Commodity prices lower, production down, sales volumes down. They were blaming uh, logistical challenges. Yes, there's something in that. It's very difficult, especially all our iron ore companies had a lot of problems getting their ore down to harbor and so on. Mm. So, yes, they came back. But, I mean, it's South 32. Remember, it's not only a South African operation. It's, got, uh, it's a global operation. They're across the board. Um, sales prices were down, costs were down, you know, um, they lost because of inflation. Um, I think the other thing where volumes are down, I'm trying to remember the results, yeah, volumes are also down. So really taking it, uh, you know, on the nose. And their numbers were down, I think, in the region of about 67%. The market yes. had discounted some of it, but um, commodity companies have come under a lot of pressure. Okay. Let's speak of that, guys. Guys, mm. we, we've got to talk about the fact that it's what's causing one of these things causing this is China. Mm. I think that's the other big story we've, we've got to talk mm. about here because uh, the Chinese economy is in real trouble. Uh, uh, just a, like a couple of weeks ago, I did an article on on, on China. Do you know that the population peaked back in 2000, the working age population, the guys actually were able to work, peaked around 2015, 20, 20, 2013 to 2015. That's eight, 10 years ago. And the highest uh, working age population is declining and it's going to be declining significantly over the next couple of years. Uh, by 2040, 28%, almost 30% yeah. of the population will be above a retirement age. Uh, China, China's economy is based on, on property. Uh, they, they had no property market uh, 50 years ago because it was a communist country. Then in the 1990s, they go out and they go and basically loosen up that thing. And notice that the private sector take advantage of it. The public sector took advantage. So you have all these municipalities all across China, basically, who became dependent on selling their land to developers. Property accounts for 70% of household wealth in China and 30% of GDP. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so a property crash there is going to be devastating. And that's going to translate to all these commodity uh, uh, companies. Uh, and I think that's the real danger commodities that people aren't talking about at the moment. The, the we, no, just before you, asked, David, okay. I was going to say, David, that you and I have spoken about this. And my oh. theory is that the uh, rural to urban migration in China means that young people leave the village. And I know this is very generalistic and not entirely appropriate, but I will say it anyway. People leave the village and go to the town to seek their fortune and they buy a one-bedroom flat or something, whether it's built by Country Garden or Evergrande, whatever it is, yeah. and it's not conducive to, you know, having a family and, and, making, yeah. and making children. Right. And that's why the level of population has stagnated, even yeah. fallen, and that is very, very significant for a country the size of China. Well, the... Is the scientist, he's the mathematician. What you have to work out is if you've got a reducing population, how much has productivity got to increase for you to maintain the kind of growth rates that will keep China's level of GDP where it is at the moment, global GDP? In other words, you get the, the, the Japanese experience. 
So um, it is very, very important. They have to, they have to increase their uh, population, but I'm talking working population. Uh, if not, the economy starts to actually falter and starts to fall. And uh, for, as Viv's uh, pointed out, it's a very serious issue for China. And they need, you know, in other words, they need to get wealthier. They need to create more. They need to become more productive in all those kind of spheres in order to keep the economy going. And you need the, you know, the other thing, uh, they, you know, we talk about migration. You can't just migrate. You know, I, I think they control the population. They control the migration. Not everybody can up and go from where they are and suddenly uh, head towards the areas where uh, the jobs are being given. And so on. I still think there's a lot of control about, uh, you know, people coming to the cities. So I, no, I, it, it is a worry. Yep. Uh, it's not just that, I mean, if you think about it, right, um, uh, demographics are like are like very like uh, concrete numbers. It's very easy to predict demographics because you, you can look at populations, you can look at like you know how many children uh, women are having, and you can make projections decades in the future. You can do almost nothing else. You can't project you know GDP. You can't project anything else, but you can project population with reasonable certainty decades into the future. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, and right now, China because it they should have started something like twenty years ago. Because the, the working age population is shrinking, what's also you can kind of talk about the working age population is that the amount of women in childbearing age has shrunk dramatically. Sure. Okay, sure. so you would not just have to get back to replacement populations like two point something. You would have to have Chinese women almost like triple or quadruple the amount of babies they have to stabilize this population. Okay, number one. And I know you meant migration within China, but many people talk about migration as a solution to um, you know uh, population issues in like Europe and America and so on. But understand from where. Everywhere in the world is declining in terms of yeah. fertility. The only places that are not are like in Africa, and even there, it's declining as women get wealth, have more choices. Uh, it becomes very clear once women have choices, education, they don't want to have as many kids. They certainly don't want to start having kids when they're like not 20 years old or 19 years old. Uh, you know, and that's what you need to have to have like five or six kids. You've got to start like 19 or 20. If you're starting at 30, you're not having five or six, you're having like two or three. If you start at 35, you might be having one. You've started 40, I mean, almost nothing, you know what I mean? Uh, so you, you can see what the, what, the, what the issues are like. And so, yeah, this is, a, this is a major issue. Elon Musk was right about this, that this is one of the biggest issues facing humanity over the next, you know, uh, couple of decades. Because it's not just China. China is the biggest place and obviously having the quickest thing. And everyone makes fun of them because of the one-child policy. But you go around and you try to find anywhere in the world, except for like places in Africa, that have a increasing population, and you'll find nowhere. Even India, okay, is barely holding on to replacement population rates. Europe has given up that ghost. South Korea, Japan is gone. The U.S. has managed to maintain things just because they have immigration coming. Immigration, yeah. yeah, yeah. But the, the thing is, the immigration is coming from countries that no longer have growing populations. Mm. Mexico, yeah. uh, it's South America, they don't have these growing populations. They are also in negative territory already. So where are these people going to come from? Lindsay, there's another point mm. in lower, you know, where you have lower population. Yes. Remember, uh, it's like a, is it like a Ponzi scheme? You know, most most countries are like Ponzi scheme. The people coming into the working uh, area, into the working force, pay for those who are leaving. You know, social security. That's how it works. But if you've got those lesser people or fewer people, sorry, is a better word, fewer people coming in. It means it's more difficult. You know, fewer people coming in. They can't support those that are going out. So it's like a pension fund, you know, of a company. If you're not employing more people, you're not growing, eventually 
uh, your pension fund starts to fall, it becomes very, very difficult to manage. So that's that's a big problem in a in a shrinking population is that you can't you know you you can't maintain the kind of social security that you did for um, you know in the past. One of these days in the future, when medical science allows, people like David Shapiro and Viv Governor <laughs> will they'll live long. They'll 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 live <laughs> until they're two hundred and fifty years old, and therefore they'll be able to study demographics <laughs> and population as part of their core portfolio. For other people that are also going to live to the age of two hundred and fifty, <laughs> I don't know what they'll be doing when they're two hundred and fifty. But <laughs> it's, a, it's a scary thought. But you know what I mean. Uh, it's very scary to think of my mm. wife at two hundred and fifty. Yo. <laughs> I, don't I don't know if you'll complete that sentence, David. Stop no, exactly. I, for your safety, uh, Linda, if, Linda, if you're listening, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I'm with you rather than your husband on this one. Okay, yeah. let's talk about a quick one before we go to and let's go to the markets first before we go to Jackson Hole, which seems like a little not an irrelevance, but it's certainly not that interesting. We've got the dollar rand. Well, it's actually not okay. It's 1871, no. which is a US dollar, yeah. which yeah. has uh, gained by. 1.1% against the rand. British pound against the rand is 23.64. That's a half percent gain for the pound. And the euro rand, euro has gained 0.8% with a 2027 print. Euro dollar 108.30, a 0.4% fall for the euro. So the dollar in the ascendancy and the British pound 126.35. Onto commodities, gold price boring, 1921. It's up a couple of bucks. Platinum up 14 to 9.42, also fairly dull compared to its recent movements. And palladium, 12.54, down 17. On to the big ones now, and that's the energy complex, where on my CRB index screen, 83.25, our oil has turned around. It's been negative all day, and it's suddenly gone very, very slightly positive to that 83 and above level. And West Texas crude, $78.94, also slightly better. Natural gas prices up 1.8%. And the one I like to watch, wheat price down another 1.5%. Coal prices up a bit, uh, but not otherwise not much else going on. S&P 500 futures, they were solidly positive throughout the day. Yeah. And then the real session came in and it's uh, the S&P 500 September futures are 44.22, which is down over half a percent. So it's quite a nasty reversal if you're a technician. Uh, US 10-year Treasury bond yield 4.22% and the South African 10-year is yielding 10.20%, which is about nine basis points weaker than yesterday. Bitcoin, well, we mentioned that when it came to chips and all sorts of things I don't understand. 26,044 <laughs> down a third of percent. Viv, any stocks you're looking at outside of the ones that we've been speaking about on the JSE, that is, or even internationally, you go for it. It, it, it isn't something uh, that's particularly you know impressive today, uh, down 1%, right? Mm. But look at in, uh, Novo Nordisk over the last little while. Uh, this company has done basically uh, the kind of growth we're talking about in NVIDIA, but it's done it consistently from about 2018 till now. 2018 now, over the last five years, is up 310%. And the reason I brought it up is I, I saw a story on it that is quite a basic. They are making so much money at Novo Nordisk. It's a Danish company, right? Yeah. That is affecting Danish interest rates. 
the, 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 currency is be, the currency is being overvalued because the amount of money no one notices is making with all these, uh, you know, Ozempic and whatnot. You know, these, uh, there's a beast drug, yeah. Okay. Mm. And then you go listen to, you know, we had the retail sales out, uh, you know, and we had uh, Walmart talking about stuff. And they say they expect these these weight loss drugs to basically be driving sales growth. It's not going to affect profitability too much, but driving sales growth for the rest of 2023. Walmart is saying this. Mm. Uh, it's uh, It just goes to show, if you get the right I, technology... It becomes amazing. Yeah. Sorry. I've got to tell you that I own Nova Nordisk. Yeah. And I've had it for over a decade. And I didn't even know I had it. I don't mean that in a in a flippant type of way, but uh, it kind of trudged along. I had got this. I had got the heads up from uh, uh, a fund manager in uh, in in Scotland, and I thought, okay, I, I don't know much. I'll I'll go with them. I appreciated who they were. But it's only over the last literally year and a half or two that this has taken off like this. And this is all exactly around it. And suddenly I looked at it and valued it, and it's outperformed the S&P in dollars over a 10-year period. It's absolutely remarkable. Who was the fund manager, David? It was a company called… Not Aberdeen, um, no. Scott, no, Walter Scott. Oh, Okay. And I, I actually think that uh, without knowing it, I think I think Walter Scott might have got out of it now, believing that it's just too pricey and whatever it is. But they were big, big supporters of it and uh, followed them, you know, for, for years uh, on that basis. I'm mm. not sure where they are now at the moment. I, you know, I haven't seen anything from them for a long time, but um, um, very, very good. To, you know, I, I've always appreciated their their research. But um, in this case, you know, without knowing it, it's one of these companies that you just have tucked away and you suddenly say, hold on, this is going up. You know, this is – and it's it's all around the endorsements that they have received. Viv, did you say this was something they just discovered? Um, no, no, it's been, obviously it's, it's, it's medication, but it's, but it's gone crazy over the last couple of years. It's medication, yeah. you know how medication takes. They'll discover it over te- a decade ago and they'll basically have I, testing and, and so on. I, but, I, I uh, think it was, a, it was a diabetes drug. They were doing something and yeah, that's it. around that's with a molecule or something and yeah. found that people were losing weight, you know, so. Uh, it's like Viagra, blocker, yeah. An, uh, yeah. an appetite blocker, yeah. Yeah, it's like Viagra. Viagra is a is not what yeah. it's like you commonly think of it as. Exactly. It's actually meant to be a heart medication, mm. and the same thing here. And apparently, it has other effects as well. It generally, improves your health. Um, it's one of those things that could, like uh, we was joking about, you know, be one of those things that increases lifespan and so on. Uh, <laughs> look, I mean, we're going to take this with a pinch of salt. Uh, you know, you guys know heroin is a, uh, is, a is a trademark of Bayer. Uh, yes, these companies have come out with medical drugs in the past, and you know, oxycotton more recently. So who knows what the side effects of this thing might be. But right now, it looks to be a miracle drug that, that basically fights diabetes uh, and also fights obesity and fights and aging in like a number of different ways. Uh, so it, it does seem to have, like it does seem to be a literal miracle drug. Uh, and I do think that, uh, you know, if, you, if you're looking at uh, something like this here, uh, you know, the, the the worldwide you know thing with diabetes uh, it's, it's apparently it's, it's unavailable in South Africa at the moment. It used to be, but people can't get a hold of it because there's no way it's like flying off the shelves. 
Uh, was, um, well, one I thing when I can, it works there, she says, it's not available. What, anyway. what, one thing I can be certain of is that having recently seen pictures of uh, both of you, having Googled you, that neither of you need weight loss drugs. That's all I can say. You're both, <laughs> you're both skinny as rakes. Sickening. So, anyway. But it's not just like weight loss. It's uh, a lot of these diabetes drugs, uh, what's it, uh, glucophage, uh, metformin, uh, this stuff here, uh, a lot of work has gone to, into this stuff, but you find that apparently sugar is such a huge, uh, you know, damaging factor in your life. Mm. If you can lower the sugar, uh, you know, uh, it's called in your body and basically uh, get the glucose levels in your body, you can lower it down and make you improve the uh, insulin sensitivity of your body. It's almost like an age anti-aging uh, medication. Yeah. Uh, and so a lot of the stuff that comes out of this whole diabetes stuff, a lot of guys are taking metformin, which is another diabetes drug on a daily basis. Uh, because apparently it increases your lifespan on average by five years. Okay, if that's what you want, then it's great. Anyway, sugar is the enemy, gentlemen. And on that note, let's have a look at the top five movers on the upside and the downside on the JSE. Telcom up 5.7%, Momentum Metropolitan up 5.3%, Harmony a 4.8% gainer, Resilient up 3.9% nearly, and Sibania Stillwater up 3.7% on the downside. And the ones that are in, of interest, South 32 down 4 and 3 quarters, Discem down 2.8%, and Sapi down 2.6%. Uh, you've given me your company outside of the ones that we've been talking about. David, anything outside of the, the stocks up and down that I mentioned, anything else that you saw today of interest? Not really. You've, you've covered most of them. Mm. Um, there's nothing, you know, it, this, this is a market that goes up and down every day. I can never know whether we're in up or down trend. Or that, but yeah. I think, uh, I, th- I think most of the stocks are being covered, you know, being covered. Right. I just, what I, what I did want to, to, to look at because, um, just before we went on air, I was looking at the value traded and it was very low and still very low today, just 16 billion. Oof. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, we continually, you know, we continue to trade at below 20 billion. There's very seldom that we actually pop over that level. Mm. And when we do, it's towards the end. Um, you know, very little trade taking place on the JSE. It's, I it's, know. For it, me, it's still a worrying factor, yeah. Yeah, this really concerns you greatly. And on that uh, note, give us the closing JSE indices, please, David, and well, the final we, yeah. value traded and a bit of Wall Street if you've got it. Well, the all shares up uh, 0.4%. Seven four three zero two. Across the board, I think um, golds and uh, you know golds led the way up. I think with platinums as well. So the resource index overall up a half percent, but the precious metal up just over two percent. Banks half a percent up. Uh, insurers on the back of that MTM uh, up about two and two and a quarter percent in that. And um, industrials, yeah, flat. Nothing really happening there. If you look at the top end of the market. Uh, most of the big heavyweights, you know, a process Naspers were down. Uh, Richmond slightly. No, Richmond did okay. So a mixed bag there. Richmond up three quarters of a percent, but nothing of of major. You know, you mentioned the movement. Nothing really of of major significance. Okay. Um, I think just going to Wall Street now. What's happened is, Video now out the way. We're now got the, the you know the Powell jitters. He's talking at um, Jackson Hole. Jackson Hole tomorrow. So mm. everybody's on, ner- you know, everybody's nerves afraid. Mr. Bullard always comes out with a negative comment about, you know, the robust uh, U.S. economy is going to keep rates higher or keep inflation higher. And uh, so we have the sell-off in the market and rates going higher. 
and I think that's the mood that we're going into the in you know into the not the closing session in the next few hours on Wall Street. Okay, my personal opinion is that uh, Jackson Hole will be a damp squib, but yeah. probably a nice little uh, get together. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. <laughs> As always on a Thursday, David Shapiro is from Sassam Securities, and Viv Govender from Rand Swiss, and that was the five o'clock shadow. Back same time next Thursday. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organisation, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.